Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. Thanks for engaging in the conversation and the great ones we've had this season. I'm Phil Dark, your host, and with me is my brother, Paul Jobson. Paul, how you doing, man? Doing great. Just surviving the uh, Texas heat this summer with camps and all the fun things we get to do outside in Texas when it's 106 degrees or so on a cool day. But it's all yeah. great, man. No complaints. How about the Dark family? What's the latest over there? Well, you know, we uh, similarly, we got some, we got a little heat heat going on here. I got actually doing a wedding, um, officiating a wedding today or actually tomorrow from when we're recording and it's only supposed to be 104 but the good news is it's windy and so it'll be 103 it only feels like 103 so it's going to be like a cool day out here so i you know i'm imagining the the they've told me to keep it short and i said well you made a you probably should have gotten somebody else if that's what you (laughs) wanted but you know i'm gonna do my best we'll see but the way i look at it they only get married once so you know they got to we got to make sure I'm not just rushing through the process. So, but the, make that it being worth said, your time. Yeah, exactly. Time. That's what I'm thinking. Once you're saturated in sweat, what's the difference, right? You know, I mean, that's totally, what I figured. Totally. You know, so you're saying so. that people are like passing out and fainting. It's probably not going to be come from the words coming from your mouth necessarily, but the heat. It it it's very well maybe both. It'll probably be a it mix be of both. the two. Yeah, it'll let's, be a mix of the two. Let's get that recorded. I'd like to see. So. That. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be on video. I'm sure it'll be on video. It'll probably be, uh, it'll probably go viral for for one reason or another. But uh, you know, today we got we got something much better than people passing out at weddings. We got uh, Jonathan Van Horn. He's executive director of pro soccer. Um, he also has had the he has a great book called Shift that that basically talks about how athletes can transition to life after sport and you know paul i know that's something that you've had to do i've had to do uh your wife's had to do um and so this is something that i'm really looking forward to this conversation but you know it's basically i mean you've you've seemed to have done it pretty well as we've talked about on the show many times in your retirement um you know you're drinking mai tais in your backyard just hanging out watching your kids playing in the pool right is pretty much what's going on absolutely absolutely it's just all all uh just a lot of rest like you know, just yeah. gotta get myself up in the morning, you know, and cruise through the day by the pool and then uh, sleep at night. Yeah. Yeah. That's what easy I figured. Transition. That's, that's pretty much what it's been. I mean, it's yeah. easy to raise four young boys um, in, yes. in Texas. So, very simple. Yeah. So, with that, we're going to get to talking to John because not everyone has it as easy as you, Paul. So, we're going to talk through some of that stuff, some of the other things there. But uh, we got Jonathan Van Horn with Athletes in Action, Executive Director, Pro Soccer. Jonathan, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Great to uh, to be on the uh, on the show today. Excited. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, bro. Um, we we always like to start uh, all of the conversations with just our our guests being able to share their story, just briefly share it. Most people listening probably don't know who you are. I mean, some of your friends and family are probably listening because you've shared it with them. Right. But other than them, a lot of these people don't don't really know your story, and some of them may learn something new about you um, as you share a little bit. But uh, just just share that how you developed your passion for soccer, for leadership, how you ended up uh, working in leadership with athletes in action, and and helping athletes transition to life after sport. Absolutely. So I'm, I grew up in Michigan, uh, a farming community uh, that also had a university. Central Michigan University uh, was the school there. Uh, and we were in a typical sort of Midwestern town where it was football, American football, basketball, baseball, track. And then it was one of those spaces where if you were bad at everything else, then you played soccer. <laughs> that, that, that was it. 
But it was one of those funny things where even though I was a multi-sport athlete growing up, there was just something about the game of soccer I just loved. Uh, I just fell in love with the game, fell in love with this, uh, within this, the sport uh, that was very unfamiliar with a lot of people, including my dad. And so when I was like, dad, I want to play this game. He was like, why? He's like, but okay, you're my son. I love you. I care about you. Uh, I'll support you any way I, I know how. So, you know, go, went to the bookstore back then to try to figure out what is this game called soccer? How do you play it? What does it mean? What's a formation? All that type of stuff. And he did his best to, uh, to coach me. We had this young little kid that, uh, just fell in love with the sport. Uh, and so that yeah, was, yeah, that was sort of the beginning. Uh, I still remember those early mornings, the fresh cut grass, the smells, the, the glimmer, the glimmering of the, of the sunlight on the dew in the morning, like all those little things uh, that really cemented a love for the game. And that was really sort of put me on a trajectory uh, to where I am today from a sports standpoint. And again, I just uh, can't always explain why or how, or the, the reason behind it, but there was just something about the game of soccer that just, just gripped my heart. And, uh, again, even though everyone else around me was like, why are you doing that? You're better at these other sports. or should play basketball or, or you should run track or play baseball. I was like, no, I just, soccer has, has my heart and I, I want to continue to pursue it. Yeah. You know, and, and you were able to, to do that. You played in college, right? And then how did you get involved with athletes in action? And I mean, you've pretty much been doing that for, for a really long time now and gone through a lot of different iterations of your roles and responsibilities, but how'd you get involved with that and kind of give you a little bit of, you know, yep. summary of your athletes in action days. Yeah. So, uh, it was, it was un unfamiliar with athletes in action through high school, got to college, uh, and was introduced to athletes in action uh, during uh, during my freshman year. Uh, there was a Columbus crew with Major League Soccer. It was just getting started in the late '90s, and I went to Ohio Wesleyan University. Uh, played played there for four years. Had a great career. Uh, but soccer circles, as you guys know, is small. Like you you know a couple of people, and you know everybody for the most part. Especially the further you go up in the sports university and then at the pro level. Uh, and there was this guy named Jim Schmidtke and Jim was, uh, was involved with the Columbus crew, helping, uh, with the guys there as a chaplain, uh, with the club, as well as integration of faith and sport. And what does that look like? And, and being a, a person of faith myself, uh, people around that knew both of us said, Hey, you guys should meet. And, uh, so Jim and I connected my freshman year and that was sort of began a, a relationship, uh, that's, that's still spanned till today. We actually had a conversation this morning, just connecting and just catching up on life and how things are going, uh, with our families and that kind of stuff. So, uh, it was, it was, it was great. And so, uh, that's what I heard about athletes in action and really wanted to, uh, begin to explore what, what it would look like organizationally. Uh, so I had a great, great four years of playing very successful career. Uh, God was gracious in the midst of, of this, you know, little farm town kid from the middle of Michigan to, to have a career plan. And, uh, it was great. And then, uh, within athletes in action is a Christian based organization. And, uh, we focus a lot of what does it look like to have a faith and intersect integrated within our sport and competition? How do we do that? What, what does it mean? Uh, as well as a, from a holistic development, how do we care for, for, for athletes? And so end up coming on staff, working with university athletes initially. So it was at the Ohio state university. Again, I can't remember that you can't forget the V that's right. Yeah, of course, of course. Yes. Uh, so I was there working with athletes there, worked with the soccer team, worked with uh, men's gymnastics, uh, men's volleyball, uh, a little bit with football. And uh, yeah, uh, with that for about four years, uh, that was the first role with an athlete's in action, then transitioned to the pro soccer side of things and started initially working back then it was called the USL was USL one and two. And then there was an iteration of the, the North American soccer league and uh, a number of there's one year was just division two us soccer decided that which was that was an interesting year 
but yeah, I've just been working within pro athletes with pro soccer players in those spaces for the last 17 years. Uh, and it's been, it's been a crazy ride. Uh, role has been anywhere from a national director to a local chaplain for a pro club to uh, content development, the video uh, written. Uh, and again, I've had a number of different hats now as the executive director of pro soccer for, for the U.S. Yeah, and we're going to get into the uh, the book that you wrote as well that has to do with working some of those pro athletes as we talked about transitioning um, out of the game and or it might maybe still within the game but not playing anymore. What does that look like? And uh, we'll get into that a bit later. It's funny, the NASL, it's a different NASL than the old NASL, which was the Pro League, which we just had Skip Gilbert on, who played for the Tampa Bay Rowdies back in the day, and I remember playing. My my little uh, AYSO team was the Rowdies, so that was, you know, we, we were basically on the same team, is what Skip was talking about there. But that's a, you know, different minor league. People don't even know about all these different leagues that are going on, for the most part, unless you have a team in your in your community, but it's, it's a lot of really, really you know, great soccer being played by a lot of people who are, who are just just below the MLS. But you know, you you kind of glossed over it a bit. You you said you know soccer grabbed your heart, but you played more than just soccer growing up, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I was a multi-sport athlete, so uh, I played uh, played soccer in the fall, played basketball in the winter, and then played basketball or sorry, played baseball in the spring, uh, and then the the occasional track meet. Uh, yeah. the coach is like, I know you're fast. I know you're fit. I'm not concerned with it. Can you just show up on track meet days and just run? And I'm like, all right, coach, what do you want? What do you want me to run? He goes, whatever we need. I was like, great. Yeah. So I showed up to the 200 one day and then a four by four, 400 by four. And then, and then one, one track meet, he was like, all right, can you throw a discus? I was like, no <laughs> We're going to try today. He goes, oh, we sure. need to. he's like, there's only three people. Uh, in the discus today in the top six get points so no matter what you do you're going to get points for us that's awesome it's all about points all about points that's what i love it i love it that's awesome but you know so we've talked about this a bit on the show i'd love to hear from your from your perspective because not only did you play three sports you were at the ohio state university were you were you there when urban meyer was there or was yeah so, you know, he had, I, I read a stat that he had, like it was 80 or 90% of all of his football players were three sport athletes in high school. And, you know, and yet today it seems like we talk about specializing at eight years old, nine years old. What are we missing with that? You know, from your perspective, what you've seen, the different athletes you've talked with, I imagine most of them played multiple sports growing up. You know, what, what are we missing now with the recent focus on early specialization? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I learned so much from uh, just from a, an athletic standpoint, just physically about my body, because you're using so many different muscle groups. Like when you go from from playing soccer in the fall, where there's endurance, you know, I was a center midfielder, so I played the six. So I'm running, you know, six to seven miles every game. And then I go to basketball, uh, you know, and the, the quick movements, the explosiveness, uh, the jumping, there's so much that goes into that, that my, I didn't experience in soccer. But the reality was it actually helped me in both sports. So I get into the basketball. Once my body acclimated to the quick explosions, I could play all day. And then I went and go back to soccer that quick. My first step, whether it was taking someone or defensively trying to trying to keep the, the, the attacker in front of me, that first step and the explosiveness was was there because of the experience and the training within those other sports. Uh, there's also, I think, part of it, too, is from a, a tactical standpoint. Uh, when you're playing multiple sports, you're forced to think through the lens, through the, the filter of some of, of a different different idea, different concepts. And so that was something that was uh, forced me in a good way to begin to learn and think about how, how do I how do I get an edge? How do I 
just lead in a bit different way. So I was a point guard for basketball. So that was very, it was different for me in the sense of uh, how I play the six. And so uh, those, those different aspects really helped cultivate uh, different perspectives, different ideas, different concepts uh, that lended added value to, to all the sports that I played. Absolutely. So how did throwing the discus help you in your uh, playing the six? Uh, it was called humility. Uh, yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. The first, I think the first throw was like, like 10 feet. It was awesome. That, that is fantastic. But Hey, you got fourth place. I did. So that was good. Yeah, so that, was, <laughs> that was fantastic. All right. All right, Jonathan, Let, let's move on to the, we got a lot to cover today. So I want to move on to what uh, would you say is your personal why your life purpose and how are you living that out every day? Yeah. For me is that uh, I want to see people be who God has called them, created them to be, be at their best. And I want to be able to help them get one step closer to that every every day. Like that for me is, uh, it's, it's funny, like looking back at sort of my my story and my life and one of the, I call them life themes. I feel like we all have these themes that are constantly uh, put across our path through our experiences, through life, through different things. Uh, and for me, one of them is, is coach. And I saw in looking back and reflecting, I remember in seventh grade, you know, gathering people to, to learn and to grow and to develop. Uh, when I was 16, I started my first soccer camp. Uh, in Mount Pleasant, where I grew up, there was no soccer, there was no club team, there was nothing, and there was nothing available. So I, I did a, I created a soccer camp for kids and for other youth in the community. And that's something that I've seen throughout the totality of my lives is, is having an impact and helping people uh, grow and become who they're, who they're called and created to be. You know, the, the great coaches see stuff inside of athletes, inside of people that they themselves yet don't see. Uh, and, and I love being able to help pull that out and draw that out in, in, in other people. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think that I uh, had a conversation recently just with somebody when I was in Guatemala, actually, and one of the coaches that was serving in one of those little towns talked about that. He's like, I never really wanted to be a coach necessarily, but then I just realized how much impact I could make on these kids by coaching and love the game. That just became more about, about that. And I think that, you know, we've talked about it probably a million times on this show, how it is more about that uh, than it is the, the X's and the O's and the strategies and the formations and, and all that. But it's more about the formation of the, of the people. So I love, I love that. And I love that that's, that's part of what you're, what you're doing and how God's gifted you as well. So through your, through your soccer career, take us through some of the de defining moments of your soccer, your soccer career, and maybe some that made maybe a lasting impact as you've gone on in leadership roles uh, now with AIA. Yeah, it's uh, I think one of the most defining moments early in my career actually wasn't in soccer. Uh, it was in basketball. Uh, I was a freshman and uh, it, it was the first moment I realized that I don't have to be the veteran or have to be the senior or have to be the captain to have an impact on my team. Uh, we we're playing against our, our conference rivals, uh, a freshman on the varsity basketball team. And uh, there's there's two seconds left to go in the game. We're down by one. And uh, the coach calls a timeout, sets up the play, and he goes, "Okay, Jonathan, you're going to take the last shot." And I'm like, and I I I froze in the in the in the in the in the timeout, like, wait, what? And he was like, "Yeah." He goes, uh, I, "I want you to take the last shot." And so he drew up the play. Play worked perfectly. Got open, open three, went to take the shot. I missed it. But what happened was, is about two weeks later, it happened again, and he said, "Okay, Jonathan, you're taking the shot again." And that's when I realized that I didn't have to be have the title of captain or have to uh, to be um, a starter or be the senior to be able to to have an influence and impact within within sport and in life. 
Uh, and that was really, for me, began to set me on a trajectory of that influence isn't based on titles or or a, a number of years playing or anything like that, but influence uh, and leadership can happen from, can come from anyone. Uh, and that really helped me as I went into uh, my university career at Ohio Wesleyan, uh, realizing as a freshman, I could have an impact and play and and have a significant role. And uh, and that was something that was emphasized by by the coach there, Jay Martin. Uh, Jay had a significant impact in my life as well. And he says, he, he's again, he saw something in me, just like my high school basketball coach saw something in me that I didn't yet see in myself. Uh, I saw myself as an athlete and, and, and Jay really began to pull out more than he, he made me a footballer and he made me, he, he really created and helped me uh, from a leadership standpoint. And he saw something in me and said, uh, I want I want to help you uh, in sport, but more importantly, help you in life. Uh, and I want to help you become a man and what that looks like within, within the world today. And so it's really that those two things really that again, my freshman year of, uh, uh, of my basketball season. And then it was actually on my recruiting trip when, when really Jay, I really began to see something. Jay saw something in me. He goes, you're the first player in 10 years. I've never actually seen physically play myself. I'm going based on the word of other people. And I haven't done that in 10 years. Uh, and then he was like, so you better not mess this up for me. We said some other words, but that's what he said. <laughs> but it was that reality of, uh, he was just saying, Hey, there's this, what I'm hearing from other people, you have, you have it. And you may not know it yet or see it yet, but you have it. And I want to help. Bro- I'm going to help bring that out. Yeah, like that. Before we move on, I mean, listeners are going to want to know when you got the second opportunity for the last second shot. Did you make that one? No, I actually missed that one as well. All right, that's important <laughs> detail there that we were going to leave out. You were going to leave it a cliffhanger for our listeners. They're yeah. going to want to know that. Okay. No, actually, uh, I missed that one as well. Uh, <laughs> my outside shot wasn't my forte by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I was I was a slasher. And so uh, garden slasher. And so, uh, but for whatever reason, coach kept doing, yeah, he, for all four years, he, he kept giving me those opportunities. Eventually I got better, but those first yeah. few were a little rough. Well, that's, that's, I mean, you mentioned it, you know, sometimes coaches see things in their, their players that they don't see in themselves and you just keep giving the guy or the girl, the ball, just keep giving them the ball, you know, and uh, they, they'll figure it out eventually. Um, and for some kids, it takes a little bit longer than others to realize uh, the gifts that, that God's given them. And, and it may not even be th- that you needed to make the bucket. Uh, it was maybe something else that he was looking to do. Um, that's, that's, that's awesome. I love that. I love those lessons. What are, you know, any other lessons maybe from, from the game that, that you're, you're using in your, in your leadership and maybe, 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 maybe let's back up that lesson that you, that you learned from your coaches. How are you implementing some of that in, in, in your leadership role now? Yeah. Yeah, I think part of it is, is how do I empower others? You know, that is something within, whether it's other that I work with within Athletes in Action or even some of the pro athletes that I'm currently working with today is, is that it's not too early to empower others in leadership opportunities. And so even though they may feel, hey, I'm not ready for this, or I'm only a rookie, or I'm just getting started within Athletes in Action, like how do, how do I help position people uh, and put them in in, the posi- in areas and spaces where for them to be successful and really challenge and grow as a leader. Uh, just like me missing those shots, like the coach never stopped believing in me for those four years. Uh, and so this, the same is true within, within, with the pro athletes that I'm working with. Uh, some of the guys are like, well, all I know is soccer. Can I, well, could I do marketing or could I go into real estate or could I do something else? And, and they're, you know, they're 23, 24 years old, but, but they're, they're like, all I know is this game. What can I do? And so you begin to create opportunities and spaces 
uh, for these athletes to be able to to realize, oh, I I am more than just my sport. I I am more than just what I do uh, in between the lines, you know. So that helping athletes understand that and recognize that is so powerful. And when the light the light bulb sort of goes on, all of a sudden they finally realize it. It's so beautiful uh, when they finally realize, oh, I am more than just my sport. Yeah, you know, and and I I do I just want to go back to that that you're a slasher and in, in your point guard, and I think you described ninety nine percent of soccer players playing basketball. That uh, you know, the outside shot isn't great. Slasher, probably a great defender, quick, and you know, and that's pretty much what we do, right? And and probably right. I I don't know about you, but I you know often would foul more than you're supposed to in a game, and so you know you, you're going for it. you you body up. Like you can right. as a as a midfielder, right? You know, I know my son struggled with that. He was really good in a lot of ways, but not in the not fouling category. So, but it did help his his soccer game as well. So I think that that that's you're not alone in that. Um, but I know you know that too, because anytime you watch someone, you're like, yep, they play soccer. Right. Um, if they're on the basketball court, I got a little, little caveat. So uh, I actually played basketball in college as well. When I first got there, I, I approached the head soccer coach, said, "Hey, can I play? Can I you you okay if I try out?" So yeah, if you want to, that's fine. Uh, I talked to the basketball coach. He said, unless you're here on report day, you can't you can't play for me. I'm like, that's fine. Uh, and then actually my junior year, uh, the old coach was fired and I got a new coach. And so I'm like, I wonder if. And so I said, hey, can I come try out? And the coach is like, absolutely. So I actually uh, played one year of varsity uh, at Ohio nice. Western. That's awesome. I, I actually will let my uh, I'm going to let my son know about this because he, he is at Biola playing soccer and his basketball is really his love as far as a sport. But, you know, like like his father, he's not as tall as he probably needs to be to play there. But he was actually playing there in the gym and he says to the basketball coach, you happen to be there at the same time. He's like, hey, coach, if I make this, can I play on the team? And the coach said, nope. He ended up making the shot, but he still couldn't play on the team. But, uh, you know, maybe he's got a shot. You know, he's saying there's a chance basically here if that coach retires. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. You never know. Yeah. You, know you, always should, you should always at least ask. Worst thing That's to do is exactly right. where you're at, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly That's what I tell the kids all the time. Just ask. The worst they can say is no, then you're in the exactly same spot you were before. All right. Well, you know, that I love that. That's so, so good. You know, just talk. I love that he gave you the shot again. I love that you missed it and you kept playing. It didn't let you just, you know, a lot of people be crushed by that, right? And like, forget it. I'm done. But you just kept shooting. And obviously, you know, you, you learned how to hit that outside shot at some point or else you wouldn't have played in, in college either. But, uh, you know, let, let's get back to AIA. You know, as you can see, I'm representing, as we talked about before the interview, I got my Athletes in Action shirt. Athletes in Action is near and dear to my heart. My wife was on staff uh, before we got married. Um, we have a lot of mutual friends in the AIA world. And, um, you know, I just I'm I absolutely love what, what AIA is doing uh, in the U.S. and all around the world. Talk a little bit about your work specifically and, and how you're using soccer to share the gospel and make disciples with within the sport. Yeah, absolutely. So it's one of those funny things within within soccer. Uh, I learned really early on uh, that regardless of where I go around the world, it draws it draws people. So it's 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 there's something beautiful and magnetic about about the this this ball that you can you can take like I said anywhere and whether or not, whether you not fully understand language or culture, it doesn't matter. Uh, if you have the ball. And so there, there's something that, that that drew me to the sport that also draws billions of people. And uh, and when I was given the opportunity to be able to take the sport that I love 
uh, and begin to, to, to match that and overlap that with, with my, with my faith in Jesus, that really began, that, that would just opened up a myriad of doors for me and athletes in action is the medium, uh, organization to, to be able to do that. And, uh, and that for me was amazing. And so being able to, to take this, of uh, what this idea of this, 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 this relationship I have with Jesus and using that uh, within the sport, uh, really get, began to get a vision of how, how do we, how do we transform and redeem, uh, soccer? Like, what does it look like for, for uh, God to be a part of this sport that I love and love him fully as well? And that uh, that's something I've been on this journey for 20 years doing. Uh, so being able to travel all over the world uh, and seeing how how soccer and football has has transformed, really bring community together. Uh, but also recognizing that the, the, the good news of Jesus, how that's also transforms uh, not only present communities, but also for all eternity. And being able to to be able to to match those two, marry those two, has been an amazing experience. Uh, and so, still doing it within the pro world, was able to do it with university athletes, and then internationally, uh, we've been able, been tra- traveled all over the world uh, to be able to use this beautiful game to uh, to really begin to transform communities uh, in the present, but again, most importantly for all eternity, and telling about Jesus. And so what, what would be just a couple strategies that you've used? I mean, you know, obviously there's just one-on-one conversations and that's, that's probably primary what God is using, um, in, in what you're doing, but what are some of the other strategies just to get in and kind of build trust in communities that you might not otherwise, whether it's a pro soccer team or other places, cause you're not, you got to earn the conversation, right? So how are you able to kind of get in and build that trust and earn those conversations? Yeah, it's there's a couple of things is is presence and consistency. You know, there's there's the old adage, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, there's something about kindness and consistency that just transcends hearts and wall and breaks down walls and barriers and that kind of stuff. Uh, and so, being present, being available, being seen, being being uh, being able to step into people's worlds and their lives, uh, not to tell them how to do things, but to be available and listen. Uh, listening is one of those things that is. Uh, it's a lost art, uh, but when you're around someone that listens well, uh, it's transformative. And so being present and just being available, being able to sit there and listen, uh, whether it's one-on-one or within a team setting or dynamic uh, is is powerful. And then in this consistency is that uh, one of the things early on is that we'd, we'd gone on a couple of trips where we popped into a country, we connected with some people and then left. Uh, and we saw the initial excitement of it. But then the back end, we realized we're actually not helping the people that we're serving. And so how do we begin to, well, how do we, how do we begin to really help and build into and assist and add value to the countries and the cities and the people that we're, we're building into internationally? And uh, so we asked and they said, well, we need consistency. And so we said, okay. So we began to make these multi-year contracts and partnerships with these, these cities and these clubs and these individuals within these various countries. And the growth was, was exponential. And the impact was exponential because of the consistency of showing up, not just once for a few weeks, but actually coming back every six months and mul- multiple weeks and not just one. And, and having multiple groups going to the same spaces uh, really began to have that consistency. Uh, and it's the same and true with the pro environment. You know, So I'm, I'm working with the pro guys, uh, pro team, North Carolina Football Club. Uh, I'm there every week. And the guys, uh, the, the new guys are always like, who is this guy? Why is he here? What does he do? Uh, but I keep showing up. How are you doing today? What's been going on? How can I help you? How can I pray for you? Uh, and then just listening and that consistency really begins to build that bridge of trust 
in order to, uh, to, to really build into their lives. Uh, so yeah, so that, that consistency and that presence is huge. Yeah, it's so good. That's so good. And I think that goes for really any work you want to do with people. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, that's just presence, consistency. And when, when you say presence, it's not just being there, but actually being present, right? You know, we talk about this a lot in the, in the, in the families, you know, there's a lot of dads who are there, but they're not present, right. you know, and the difference is everything. Right. And so to actually be there, part of being present is listening. And I love that. I absolutely love that. I think that's so, that's so, um, that right there, I think is worth the, the interview. I mean, I think that there is so important for people to understand for coaches as well. I think yeah. that's critical in the lives of your players is for them to know that you're, that you're there and you're present and you're consistent and you will be there. And I think that honestly in the college game, I think that's one of the, one of the struggles with a lot of people is they don't know if their coach is going to be there when they're, you know, for the full four years and things like that, which is, which is an interesting dynamic. Um, and the coaches don't know that sometimes. So that sometimes they're not fully pouring in as they should. So anyway, that's just another little side note there, but, um, I don't know, Paul, what do you think? Yeah, I think that, I mean, in some, in some ways, I mean, I think just to, to spell out some things for different people, a lot of what we're talking about here is chaplaincy, right? That's the word in some, in some ways, I think as a, as a coach, sometimes you struggle with someone who comes in and thinks they're just going to come be your team chaplain, you know, and mm -hmm. like, they don't have any idea what that really means, but the showing up is, is not just like, hi, I'm, I'm here to serve your team. Tell me how you're doing. You know, I think the best, chaplains and, and, and folks that really poured into our players are the ones that just really just showed up and served, you know, they showed they really wanted to be there. Like they wanted to be around the team. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to be there. Like they're handing out water or they're picking up trash or they're, you know, they're there at the beginning of practice or they're at the end, end of practice. They're there at games. They're, they're seeing the environment that the folks are in too. It's kind of like what you're saying about, you know, going to different countries and you just show up, you do your thing and you leave it's also the same thing when you're working with colleges or even probably pro teams too, where, you know, it's consistency of, of showing up and showing like, Hey, like it's not about me and me wanting like the, the swag that I get because I get to work with your team. Like I don't care about any of that. I, I really just want to be able to serve you. However, this team needs to be served. And I think that's a, an important point from, from my perspective as a coach, because the, 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 the relationship that's built through, Christ is such a big deal as a coach. You want to trust that person who has that relationship with your players, you know? So I want that bond with my chaplain or whoever's coming in to pour in the love of God into my players as well. Cause if as a coach, like Phil is saying, if I can't do that as a coach, I want someone to fill that role, but I've got to be able to trust them. And how do you build trust? Show up mm -hmm. consistently and, and, and be there as a, as a servant in some ways and show that, Hey, I really just, I just really want to be here. You know, I, I don't know. You've had more practical experience on that side of it than I do. How does that resonate? Um, when you hear yeah. me say things like that? Absolutely. So people often talk about like, we know what makes a good chaplain. I do character coach. I do integration of faith and sport. All like all is this large umbrella for like holistic care. Like how, how do you, how, how are you most effective? And, and, and really it's at the epicenter is trust. So one of the things we've been talking a lot about recently with the pro guys with North Carolina football club is that trust is a soil in which everything else grows. 
it's just that reality that to, to grow team cohesion with the willingness to, to sacrifice our, our team values or uh, relation with Christ, all those different things that that are part of what what I get to do at the essence trust is at the epicenter of, of all of that. Uh, and when there is no trust, you it's you you naturally cap yourself on the depth, on the impact, on uh, on on how far you can go uh, as as a coach, as as a chaplain, as uh, as an investor of people. So trust is so so important, so important. Yeah, no, totally. Not to uh, transition this way, but let's shift for a second to something else. How do you like that? Huh? That was nice. uh, Love it. That was pretty good, right? Let's shift. Yeah. Let's Paul, shift. you're uh, getting, you're, it's rubbing off. The segues yeah. are unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yep. yep. We're going to, we're going to shift here and uh, folks, you'll, you'll figure this out in a second. Maybe Phil mentioned it earlier. I can't remember, but uh, I want to talk about your book, Jonathan, you have a book, it's called shift. And um, there you go, folks. I just connected it for you guys. Uh, it, it really talk about, shift uh, your work with athletes and, and the idea of helping them transition to life after elite athletics is something that's really big for me. I, not because I was an elite athlete that had the transition, but working even with college athletes, you know, my wife having been a professional and seeing that world and, and just the identity that's around, uh, you know, an athlete and what that looks like to move on. And just love to hear uh, about your book and, and, and tell us a little bit about why, why you wrote it. Like what, what was, why did you choose that? I mean, it, I don't know if I'll ever write a book and probably it's because I just don't know what I would write about. There's so many things that I would love to, to say. Uh, why'd you choose it and tell us about it? Yeah, it's uh, it was funny. So a lot of times when you're in the midst of transition, you don't realize what's happening because it's like almost like running on sand at times. Uh, and so when I, when I stopped playing, uh, it's just like, that's just what you do. Like I uh, didn't, didn't really get, get an opportunity to play professionally. I had some, some trials and that kind of stuff, but it was just like, ah, eh, I got married. I'm like, it's not for me. I was talking to my buddies that were playing professionally. They're making 400 bucks, you know, a month and living in a two bedroom apartment with five other guys and just living on ramen. I'm like, I have no desire for that. Uh, so I just sort of, as I navigated that transition, I had these feelings and just going through this, this grieving process and just sort of just honestly just sort of stuck it down. Didn't really just get it, just move on with life. Uh, and then fast forward to about 12 years ago, we moved from Ohio to North Carolina, uh, began to work directly with the, the pro team here, uh, as well as just more strategically located as uh, visiting teams and connections and networks. And then you have UN, University of North Carolina, NC State and Duke, and, uh, and the national team was coming training here as well. Uh, so we moved down here. And all of a sudden, I began to have all of those same feelings that I had when I was 23. Like the same sense of transition, uneasiness, grief. And I'm like, what, what is this? Like, this is, it's, it's not new. It's, it feels familiar. It's like a deja vu moment. But I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I began to just, just grow from a self-awareness, began to really dive a little bit deeper into to what was going on in my own heart. And I realized, oh, I'm, I'm struggling and feeling this sense of loss, just like I'm losing my relationships back in Ohio. I'm losing friendships, moving away from family, all this, what was familiar uh, and all those same emotions and, and anxiety or in wrestling that I was experiencing this, in this move, I was able to draw the line back to when I stopped playing. I love to play. I love the locker room, the environment, the trainings. I love that. Love the competing under the lights, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden it was gone and, and, and at the, at the end of one whistle. And that was just, it was heartbreaking. And so 
I'm beginning to tie those those dots back to that sells my own my own my own personal journey that I was going through. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm the only one, right? In isolations, you begin to ask that maybe maybe it's just me. Uh, and so when I started working with some of the, the athletes here locally, uh, I'll be investing in them, mentoring in them. And then, you know, the business world of the sport can be a bit fickle. And so a guy's released, he's cut or he's traded or sent on loan. Uh, oftentimes the club, uh, brings in a new player and that old player is forgotten. Uh, but because of relationships, cause one to invest in these, in these men, I was able to maintain, uh, relationships with them as they moved on to other clubs or retired. And as I saw these transitions occurring, I began to see the words that they were using were similar to what I experienced. And so I just started to dive a little bit deeper into that. And so I was already writing a little bit of content, uh, some, you know, looking at the, the Bible, some Bible studies, that kind of stuff. I was already writing some of that. I was doing some other writings periodically here and there. Uh, and so I just began to say, what's available? And as I started exploring within the pro soccer world, there really wasn't anything available. So I'd ask, you know, general manager, hey, what do you do for athletes when they retire? Oh, nothing. Uh, I had a contact in the player association. What do you do when they retire? Uh, nothing, really. We maybe offer an internship, uh, but it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't well known. There really wasn't any process out there available for athletes. And then so with the Athletes in Action, we're also working within the NFL and NBA and Major League Baseball, some of these other spaces. So I started asking, like, those guys, like, well, what is, what, what's, what's available for athletes from a content standpoint to help them? And the answer kept coming back and was really nothing. If you want something to pursue it, you could find something, but there wasn't this broad, broad strokes. And so, uh, there was a, there was a need, there was a, a significant gap for athletes in this space. And so I started writing some content, uh, some ideas, working with some athletes in this, as they were transitioning at a couple of guys that were forced to retire due to injury. And that's when it really hit me hard was one of the players called me says, Jonathan, I'm okay. I'm doing okay right now. I'm good. But I'm having these thoughts of suicide. What do I do? And you look at his life, you know, uh, multi, you know, 10 plus year, you know, 10 year career, uh, had won an MLS championship, first round draft pick, you know, checked all the boxes, right? Like you would think married, loved Jesus, uh, had kids, all these things. So like I said, checked all the boxes on the outside looking in and he's having these thoughts. And so that's when it began to, I was like, okay, there, this is, this is much bigger than just a, this small circle myself and the small circle of people. This is, this is broad. Uh, and so I began to be more intentional with creating content for this. And as I was doing that, I got connected with more athletes because they would, you know, athletes talk like, Hey, Jonathan's helping in this space, go talk to him. And I got to a point where uh, I didn't have the time and the capacity to continue to meet with more and more athletes. So I go, what, what do I do then? Uh, and so that's when I was like, let's, that's right. Uh, so I combination of writing. And then I also created a video course, an online course for athletes to go through that comes with the notebook and this seven videos, uh, 12 to 15 minutes, each video on different, on the, the five uh, steps of shift. And, uh, and then from there wrote the book and dove a little bit deeper in the different, different steps, uh, to help athletes in that transition. Yeah. What a, what a huge, uh, impact I know you're making on just so many different people. I just, I love that. You mentioned the five, the five steps. Take us through just a, maybe yeah. one or two of those steps to give us an idea of what that looks like. Yeah. The, uh, the, the first one is start now. And it's, so the S and shift it's, so it's an acronym. Uh, and that is really at the heart level of, of who we are as humans. Uh, so it's this reality of identity, who we are and whose we are. Uh, and that is really begin to answering those two questions. Like who, who am I? And, and at the essence, the anchor of who we are, has to be uh, cemented in something that can be taken away. 
And so sport can be taken away. Uh, a job can be taken away. Uh, there's other things, uh, contracts, multimedia, sponsorships, those are all can be taken away. So if, if the essence and this, what's at the center, the epicenter of who we are and our identity is something that can be taken away, we will always go through a significant uh, uh, grieving and sense of loss is this despair space. And so for me, when I realized that my, my faith in Jesus is something that can never be taken away. And there's other aspects of who I am. You know, I'm a footballer, you know, I'm a dad, I'm a husband. There's other, I'm a friend, I'm a son, there's different aspects of me. Uh, but at the epicenter of who I am is my faith in Jesus. And so when I realize that, that when that can't be taken away, it gives me confidence uh, in every other aspect of my life, even when things are taken away. So uh, I can no longer perform and play and compete as an athlete like I used to. So that's a part of the grieving process. But, uh, and I grieve that loss, but the reality is, is that that doesn't define me at the essence of who I am. Uh, and then the other question is, whose am I? It's the idea of worship. We all worship as humans, we worship something or someone. And so uh, the question is, is what is it? And if I worship a sport, the reality is we all know the sport is fickle. It's going to turn, it turn its back on us at some point in time. And, and so uh, the question is, is that who, uh, who's am I and who am I giving my allegiance to? And, and again, that is something that it can't be changed. And uh, in the, the Bible talked about Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And so his character, who he is, uh, who, his words, his promises don't change. And so as a result of that, my worship for him is, is constant. And, 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 and that's, and that's really an anchor for me. Uh, the second thing, part of that starting now is that is our experiences. Like I said, nothing is wasted. Our story is not wasted. And so uh, our stories really begin to shape who we are. Uh, we, I often talk about the reality that we live our present through the filter of our past. And, and so when we experience the present moment, we're living and experiencing that through what we've experienced historically. And so we, we need to know our stories. And so, so there's an intentionality of, of remembering who, the, what I've experienced in my life. So our stories would have shaped us. Uh, so who've been like the heroes, what have been the heartaches, the hurts, what's been some of the hopes that I had growing up, all these different things to really begin to explore and really growing in that self-awareness. And uh, yeah, and, and then that, that experience, you know, there's our experience in life is allows us to really, uh, it's transferable, whether it's in sport or in life and relationships across the table. So it's, it's helping bridge the bridge the bridge the gaps between what we learned and experience in sport and putting it into other aspects or other other facets of our lives. Uh, and then the it's our heart again, looking at what it drives us on the more motivation we talked about earlier on is our why, like what why we do what we do. Uh, we're beginning really begin to tap into that. Uh, and then uh, the third step is imagine the future, and that's really begin to have a, a an image of what next could look like. Uh, Stephen Covey talks a lot about this thing with the end in mind. And so we take a, a bit of a revisiting of what that looks like uh, and begin to imagine what our, what future could be. And it could be a year from now, six months from now, or it could be 10 years from now, depending on where you're at in your playing career. Uh, I'm a firm believer that we, uh, with the athletes that I work with is, is getting, the earlier they start and begin, the, the better they, they will be in the long run. Uh, and so uh, even though if you're 18 and first year pro, like let's begin to think about and plan and leverage your space you're in now for, for what's to come. That's, that's so, so good. I mean, I think just to, I don't want to fly by all of that. I just encourage folks to go grab, grab the book for sure. But I think just going back to that first step, you talking about the experiences that they had and how important that is for the future. Cause how many players are done? Like, was this all for nothing? Like, you know, like, what do I do now? Like everything I've done up to this point, is that just like for nothing? And I think that like really tapping into that of like, you know, that's made you kind of who you are 
but whose are you, right? And, and how do you carry that forward uh, into the next phase that God has prepared for you? And I, I just love that. I didn't want to gloss over that because I just found that so important because I know even in my own career, I've heard so many people say, well, what, I mean, what do I do now? Like, even when I stepped out of coaching, you know, folks are like, well, what, what are you going to do? You know, like what, what other skills do you have? I'm like, well, I don't know. I guess I'll just figure it out. You know, I've just been a coach for 20 years. You know, there are no, no other skills involved in coaching. There's no other skills in, in, in playing soccer or any sport, uh, which is an absolute lie. Right. So we got to get folks out of that, out of that lie. You, you tap into it just a little bit, you know, the earlier you can kind of start with, with some of these things. What, what are some things that coaches and maybe even parents can do? What are some things they can do to incorporate some of these principles uh, into whether they're coaching or just relationships that they have that can kind of help to this process? Cause I, I think like you're kind of, you've kind of said it, like the earlier you can start with this, the better it is on the, the end goal. And I know we talk a lot about identity, even with kids when we work with kids, what is their identity caught up in, but what are some practical applications that we can use as parents and coaches that to help kids start to navigate this before they hit that, that, that pylon at the end of the road. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's uh, I think one of the things that is significant is, is champion uh, these, these athletes, these men and women to, to fail early and fail often. You know, there's something with that uh, when you're experiencing new things, it's okay to, to fail and struggle at things. Uh, and that's how you learn, learn new ideas, whether it's in sport, like I said, learning a step over for the first time or a different move or a tactical, whatever it may be. Uh, but I think there's also reality in life is that it's okay to try stuff, you know? So uh, one of the things that I know we we're talking with a, a friend of mine about, he called them externships. I'm like, what's that? He goes, it's actually, it's stepping in for like two days uh, and just shadowing someone in a business environment for, or a marketing environment or in, in a classroom as a teacher just for a few days. Uh, and so it's like, it's instead of this internship, it's a longer term, the externship is just like I said, uh, two days to a week at the most. And, uh, and just allowing you to have an experience. And, and it's simply, just simply to see if this is something that may interest you or not. And so you could do something, like I said, step into a marketing firm and go, wow, I really hate this. I don't want to do this. Okay, great. Well, now you know. Uh, or it could be something you step into an environment where you're like, this is really interesting. I, I like graphic design. I, I may want to explore more what this could look like. Uh, or it's you ta tap into music or to art, you know, and whatever it may be. And I think one of the things your athletes are, are learning and experiencing, and it's been cool seeing the, the science is, is, is validating this, is that when athletes have hobbies or they have extracurricular activities outside of the sport, they're actually uh, from a, a mental and emotional capacity sign stronger and healthier at their sport. So they actually, their performance actually increases with the, with the increase of hobbies and experiences beyond the sport. And so there's, there's something to that because it allows our brains to rest and I can't, I don't know all the science of it, but it gives our brains the opportunity to rest in the sports space because we're thinking about something different. So thinking more creative or art or music or or something else. Uh, and as a result of that actually increases our performance. And so the earlier athletes can begin to step into those similar spaces and just risk and try new things. It's going to not only help them understand what they may want to pursue when they're done playing, but also it's actually going to help them on the field as well as they compete. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I mean, I just want to, I want to say it again, you just said it, but uh, fail early, fail often. I think we, we become a society that's very protective uh, of what people think of us. And to fail is, is just, it's not okay. And I think for our children to fail uh, is, is sometimes a blow to our, our ego as well as parents. But 
I, I want people to hear that. I just think it's such a positive, positive thing for, for all of us, not just kids, but especially kids when they have the opportunity to fail in a safe environment, right? Yep. You know, when, when kids get to college and it's the first time they've ever been told by a coach, like, Hey, I don't, I don't think you're good enough, you know, or we've got to do this better or the really big challenge for the first time. It's a, it's a blow, right? It's, it's kind of what, kind of what you're talking about here. So failing in those safe environments is the best place for these folks to do that. I don't want that to, I didn't want to bypass that. I just see that so often just in our society. We just want to, we want to, everybody to think everything is great and we want to protect our children so much that uh, we don't allow them to fail in, the, in a safe environment where we can pick them back up and, and, and carry them and help them learn the lesson and move forward. So then they can start learning lessons on their own so that when they're out of the house, then they, you know, they fail like, okay, it's okay. I failed before and I'll be okay. You know, so um, Phil, I, I'd love to hear kind of your perspective on, on that too. I think we've talked about it once before maybe. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love all this. I mean, just so, so good. I love the, who are you and whose are you? Those are questions I ask mm -hmm. people often, as you said, you're worshiping someone or something. And, um, you know, I think it goes both questions. I mean, who are you worshiping? Should, should we go back to that question? You know, who are you? What, what is something that's grounded in that doesn't change? And, you know, we talked with Graham Daniels. I don't know if you're familiar with Graham or, you know, Graham, Jonathan, but he's an amazing man who's been through a ton, but he's over, he runs Christians in sport. And we interviewed him a few episodes ago and he talked about achieved identity versus received identity, which is a similar idea, right? That idea that if you have an achieved identity, it will fail you. And you, it, it will be something that when you fail early, fail often, and you don't, and you're not grounded in that, it can be crushing. Yes. But when you have that received identity, it's something that you know, okay, well, this is something I can learn from, right? And that to understand the things that the best things as we talk about in life come on just the other side of comfortable. If you're too far out from comfortable, you'll, you'll just bail. You'll say, forget it. But just on the other side of comfortable, that's when the really good stuff happens. But if you're there, you're going to be failing, right? You, you, if, as we say, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. My daughter said this to me yesterday. She says, yeah, in, my, in shooting drills, she's a striker. She's got a great, a great shot with both feet. But she says, in shooting drills, I think too much. And I'm just like, you know, she's overthinking. And I was like, you know, how do you get them to just, and I go, you got to just not care. At some, at some point, you just got to try and try and try, not care when you miss. You just got to keep going. You got to keep shooting, taking the next shot. And then maybe not care is not the right word, but to not let it bother you, right? Because that's not what you're, that's not who you are. Just because, you, you know, when you have a bad shot, you're not a bad shooter, right? Those are identity statements. To, I'm a bad shooter. No, that's an identity statement. You had a bad shot. You're having a bad shooting day. Those are two very different things. And to know that is is critical. And I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, Paul, something you mentioned earlier, too, as when you asked about a coach, I think coaches have the power to create those safe environments. And, you know, I think part of it is is it's changing the narrative of how we view failure. You know, so culturally failure is a bad thing. It's labeled bad. What if we, we switch the narrative and said, actually failure is good because it's what you just said, Phil, it's like, you're pushing the envelope. So the more you fail in those just beyond comfort, actually the better you're becoming. And in the progression of, as a human, uh, in the totality of our lives, we're always have the opportunity to grow and get better. But the only way to do that is to fail. So there's this, this, I think one of the things, I love this, this statement, I can't remember who said it uh, initially, where, where I heard it from, but it said, uh, he or she that fails the most wins. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And at first I was like, that's stupid. <laughs> 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 like, no, that's dumb. Like, no. 
but then begin to think about it. And the whole point was that you're, you're constantly pushing beyond that comfort space. You're constantly pushing the envelope. You're constantly failing. And as a result of that, you're actually winning because you're becoming, you're progressing, you're developing more and more, whether it's in sport and life in your relationships and your vocation, whatever it may be, you're constantly pushing the envelope. So you're allowing yourself to grow and develop. So it's changing the narrative of how we view failure. So failure is actually a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And so that is significant, but as, as a coach, we have the opportunity to create the environment for that, for that narrative. Yeah, I think that that is, there's so much goodness there. And I, and I, I do, I, like you said, Paul, I, I encourage folks go grab that book. Also, you know, John, Jonathan has a, a podcast that, as he says, on pause right now, but go check it out. There's like 20-something episodes of that. Really, really good stuff that he goes through talking with athletes who are transitioning to life after sport and, and some of those conversations. Just There's a lot of rich, great stuff there. So go check those things out. But we, talk, we talked about coaches, and coaches having tremendous power, um, to, to coaches having tremendous impact and influence over, over us and over you know, our kids. And, and so many of us have kids who are playing for coaches. And so as we talk to coaches, you know, there's things we can learn from other great coaches. So who, who was one of the best coaches or, or, you know, maybe a couple that, that come to your mind that you played for that, that set, they were set apart from the rest. It's just as far as just great leaders, you know, what, what about them stuck out and, and what'd you, what'd you learn from uh, him or her that, that you're using today? Yeah. Great question. Uh, I mentioned earlier, like I said, my basketball coach is coach Kaiser called coach K he was the first one that I really began to see the impact that a coach can have in, have in, in someone's life uh, because of the impact he had in my life uh, of what he saw in me. And like I said, I just didn't, I didn't think I wasn't, I didn't think highly of myself, uh, but he saw something to me that was amazing. That's like, Oh, I see something in you and I believe in you and I want to champion you. And so that was seeing, having that was, was huge for me. And then the, the next coach I had in college was Jay Martin. Uh, and Jay was you looking back at uh, some of the things that we did, we did visualization and goal setting back in the nineties. And that wasn't a, like, now that's common to do some of these practices, but we were doing things that were at the time was sort of cutting edge. Uh, and one of the things I learned from Jay is that he was a consummate learner. He was always reading something. He was always looking what's, what's new, what's available, what's, what's being challenged. What's, what's something that we can have as our bedrock or foundation to build upon. What are different things that we can continue to, to find an edge from a holistic standpoint of the of the athletes that, that were part of the program. And I remember that my freshman, my early on my freshman year, we had the beep test and I was signing, I was, you know, finalizing my class schedules came preseason before school started and I had to change one of my classes. So I'm like, Hey Jay, I gotta, I gotta change my class. So I gotta go wait in line. He goes, I might be, I might be a little bit practice. He's like, no problem. So I ended up missing the beep test. I was like, yes, I missed the beep <laughs> test. I have to do it. But one of the things he said was, he goes, he goes, academics, for here are first he goes like i want you the reality is that the degree what you learn academically uh will last you for your life also what you learn athletically will also last your life but they're, they're there's they're both uh equal playing field and and i want you to i want to i don't want to emphasize one over the other because they're both are, are going to have value in your life and so this idea of what does it look like to continually learn and learn and learn uh, the unfortunate thing was the next day i showed up at practice at for the first uh from the morning session he goes all right van horn Beep tests, the cones are set up for you. And I was like, ah. <laughs> but it was that reality that he showed me in that moment of the importance of continuing to learn. Never be above uh, above the people in the room, the books, the people that, are, that, that has already been written. You're, you'll never fully arrive. And you always have an opportunity to grow and to learn and develop in some capacity. 
And so be intentional to, to be that, that, that learner in the room, be curious. I love the, I love the stories of, of everybody's experiences from, from, you know, their story of, of how the game impacted them to the, the impact that the coaches have had on, on players' lives. I think we can all relate, uh, all have different stories, somewhat similar, but different. And I just love, I love that. And I love how people are part of our stories, you know, and how we can reference coaches and things that they've done and how they've impacted us uh, in different ways. And just an, hopefully an encouragement to our coaches that, that, that listen to this or watch this, that uh, you're sometimes you may not know it, but you're making an impact. Um, well, it's either a good impact or a bad impact, but I hope most of us are making a positive impact uh, on our players. So I appreciate you sharing that as, as we kind of move, move along a little bit. I want to talk about the game itself and, you know, you've been involved in the game in a long time for a long time. You've you've played it up, you know, to the college level. You've been around uh, professionals. You've seen the game, you know, in other countries. Uh, I'd say you're pretty familiar with the game and its its ins and outs. Uh, and uh, I'd just love to hear kind of your perspective on you know where the game is right now uh, in the United States. Maybe some things you think are are, are going well uh, for us as a country, uh, whether it's youth or professional, whatever you want to kind of address. Um, and maybe some things you think maybe we could do a little bit better. I'd love to hear your perspective on those things. Yeah, I think uh, when you think about some of the the, the movement toward, uh, especially the small sided and the, the game and environments, that was something that I really I missed out on when I was younger, uh, and seeing the emphasis of that, like to the small sides, uh, the rondos, like that was something we just didn't do, uh, and so that was something I missed out from a technical standpoint in those early years, and it's so important to get just get touches on the ball. Uh, and that was something that's like, you know, go out and juggle. So I, I would do that. But there's there's something about, I'd say, playing a little 5v2 or something like that, or the the 4v4s and 4v4 plus ones. And being in some of those environments now with the with the, with the the youth is so important uh, just to get some game, game-esque game experiences plus the technical side of things. Uh, again, re- and realizing that that was the, a deficiency that I had throughout the totality of my career. It was always, that was always the biggest critique. Jonathan, you're not technical enough. You know, you're not, you're, you have the athleticism, you have the height, you have the speed, you have all the different things, but you're just, you have the IQ, you're just not technical enough. And that reflecting back on, on my growing up those first, you know, five, six years of playing, that was one of the biggest things. And that, that continue to emphasize that. And then as I go overseas internationally, that's happening all of the time. There's always, whether it's in the street or on the, on the training ground, like you're always seeing this 3v3, 2v2, 4v4 in type of environments uh, from a technical standpoint, and you're seeing these kids learning, uh, learning the game. Uh, something too that's like that I've just really valued is the opportunity we get to see games all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monday night, 11:30 p.m. That was the EPL game of the week for me. That I was back. That I, would, I was able to watch the one game, and I would sneak downstairs when I was you know 14 and turn on the TV when everyone else was sleeping, and I'd get to watch the I'd watch the EPL game. And now it's everywhere. And so for me as a, as a basketball player, what allowed me to be so successful is able to watch it. And so seeing, seeing that. Um, so listen, I think some of the positives moving forward, I think some of the things that, again, we hinted on earlier, as far as the specialization, I think there's something, there's just something about being able to play multiple sports and, and being able to have those experiences, perspectives that's, that's needed and need to be emphasized. I don't know how many parents I've talked with have eight-year-old sons and daughters and they're like, oh yeah, we're, we're traveling to Orlando and we're going to Atlanta. We're going to Vegas for tournaments. And I'm like, your kid's eight. Like, like what? Like why? 
And they're like, well, that's what's needed to be successful. And I mean, it's just, and not only is it affecting the, the children as an athletic standpoint, I think from a family standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's really they're having a significant impact where they're, they're spending more time in, in hotels and uh, at like a, a McDonald or Chipotle or whatever, versus being around a dinner table together as a family and, and doing activities or playing games or having moments together and having those experiences together. And so it's a really disrupting community. Uh, and disrupting family dynamics and and developments of, of kids because they're m- really missing out. They're missing out on uh, on on those those community and those family family relationships that need to be cultivated because they're playing in a tournament. You know, that's a four hour flight away from where they live. Yeah, you know, and I've seen that even in our family. We got a big family, and but having four soccer players, and it's you have to be so intentional to have, you know, the family dinners, um, as they talk about, that's like the number one indicator or one of the top two or three indicators of success in life after, you know, college is how many family dinners you had sitting down at a table with your family. And so that's something that, you know, you, we have to be so very intentional, not even just because of the travel, but also just the practice schedules and the, just the craziness of the year round and no seasons of anything anymore. You know, and I love my son played little league, you know, this year and he's 12 and he also plays soccer and, and, but to have a season, it was, it was refreshing. It was, oh, we started in March and we ended in, you know, (laughs) early June. It was like, this was incredible. I was like, that's what we used to do. You know, trying to explain that to the kids. This is what it used to be like. And then we'd start soccer in sometime in July. And, um, that's the way it was. And, I think that that's something that, you know, we've talked a lot about that on the, on the show and, and I, I don't think you're definitely not alone in that concern. Um, but I, I think you brought up something that, that is near and dear to my heart and the work that I do with vulnerable children and families around the world is the impact on families and the breakdown of families. I don't think it's any coincidence that families are breaking down at a, at a greater clip in the last, you know, few decades when youth sports have taken this massive toll on families because not only are the kids going different directions, but the parents are going different directions because the kids are going different directions, right? And so that's something that we we just really need to, I think, you know, put more focus on and be able to encourage people to say, hey, what's more important here? You know, that your kid can get a few more practices, a few more games, or your family, you know? So that's something that I I absolutely agree with and, and uh and glad you brought that up. Well, I think it creates from a, from a community standpoint, there's in our world today, we have our kids have access to so much information, but they often don't know what to do with it. And those family Mm. meals, that connection, give us the opportunity to help them. What do I do with this? What do I do with, you know, with this smartphone that I have in my hand that I can Google anything in the world and find out information uh, but I don't know how to navigate with the information that I actually have and the, those dinners and those meals together create opportunity from a community, from a family standpoint, to actually to learn how to, how to be human, how to grow and what it means to do what you do with all this information. Yeah. And again, a lot of that's being lost because it's now they're on the roads with their buddies and, and their teammates and coaches. And they're, they're asking questions that historically have been answered by, by parents that are no longer being answered and they're just left to figure it out on their own. And as a 12, 13, yeah that's just really hard absolutely and and, and yeah. even on the other side of that too is that most of the coaches are not the parents anymore 
right? They're professional coaches who are, that's what they do. And many of them don't have families. Many of them are young, you know, just out of college, a few years out of college, don't have families of their own, don't haven't lived that life experience to be able to answer those questions. These kids are living basically college lives, lives in the, from the sports uh, side of things from 12, 13, 14. And so, yeah, those are, those are things that I think aren't talked about a lot, but to your point, like they're with those people way more than they're with their families. And that, and it's not just like, oh, well, it's a season. No, it's not a season. It's all the time. And that's what they're told you have to do or else you can't make it. And that's just a lie. It's, it's just a lie. So that's something. Yeah. Hopefully, I mean, we talked with uh, Skip Gilbert, who's the USYS CEO and, you know, talking through these similar things on, you know, okay, what can we do about it? What, what does it look like? And that's, that's the, the question that I think we all see the issues now. How do we actually make a dent into it? You know, and, and I think it's, it starts with just families like ours just saying, okay, we're going to choose to not buy into it at that level. And what does that look like? And, and kind of go for the, because the reality is mostly kids choose not to play at some point. Right. Um, that's right. They're, they're either yeah. burning out or they're just not their love. Yep. And so why, you know, when you look back at that and the parents are like, well, we invested all this into it. And then the kids feel bad. Some of them keep playing just because they feel bad. And right. that's not the right reason to play a sport when you're committing so much. So anyway, that's, that's a whole nother conversation that uh, we could have for hours and hours that we don't have time for. Let's, we are going to kind of finish up here with the last couple of questions that we do uh, ask all of our guests. And, and the first is how have you used the lessons you've learned directly from the game of soccer in your marriage and your parenting go back to that family conversation? I think part of it is mentioned as far as the, from a development standpoint is that I realized that there's always growth. There's always growth opportunities. And I think for me as a husband, as a father, uh, there's, I, I can continue to get better at it, you know? So what is the the depth and the richness as a husband and a father each and every day? Uh, the other thing too, is just from the game is the power of presence. I mentioned earlier is, is, is how do I intentionally be present in the spaces that I'm in uh, with my kids, with, with Rachel, my wife and, I have three girls with my girls as well, you know, so what does it look like to be able to do that? And then, you know, I think part of it too, for me is, uh, from, from a sports standpoint is, uh, is, is there's a passion side of it. I love the game. I love the game, love being a part of the game, love playing, love being around it. And that's, I think part of it, that the lesson has been is, is step into spaces that you, that you enjoy, like, even if it's hard, I still enjoy it. And so that's something that's like, I look for opportunities to things that I'm passionate and enjoy even though they're difficult and they're hard is that there's moments uh, that really come to life. Uh, and that's something the sport has provided for me. So looking for those opportunities beyond soccer is like when I enjoy something. So from a coaching standpoint, from an investment standpoint, I love that. I love being a part of, of people's lives in that process. And so uh, looking for those. Yeah. Good. Last official question. What have you watched, read, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how soccer explains life and leadership? And you can't say shift. <laughs> uh, I would say the probably the most significant collectively has been honestly been the Bible. There's a lot of the principles. One of the things I've been, more recently I've been talking about the power, just the power of conflict. Uh, people see often see conflict as a negative thing. Uh, for me, conflict is actually a positive thing because it forces us to, to understand why am I feeling this way? If I'm angry about something else that happens, why am I feeling this way? So it's something inside of me owning my emotions, but it's also putting, forcing me to put myself in the shoes of someone else 
uh, and seeing life and the what the environment and the, and the situation through their perspective. Uh, and so, and being able to learn from that. And so it's, it's the, and that's, there's a, a passage in, in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 18 and how to navigate conflict. And it's going to the directly to that person and, and, and working through the little differences, uh, but also recognizing that, that you may not be able to come to a difference. You may not be able to come to a conclusion. And then the next progression is bring one or two other trusted people. So from a team environment, it's a captain, or maybe there's a leadership team. Uh, within that, within a leadership council, within that team, it's helped bringing those people in to have and to navigate and solve the conflict. But it forces us to become better, better people, better humans, uh, growing and developing. And so that's something that's been significant for me. I would say, uh, yeah, I think those that's probably the, the biggest one for me. Uh, as of late, uh, I've been listening to a lot more podcasts. So uh, there's uh, an individual on LA, his name's Erwin McManus. He's someone I've been listening to mm. a lot. Uh, really value his perspective. He's coming out with a book called Mind Shift, and it's which is sort of funny. Like I can't say shift, maybe part of it, but it's this idea of the power of the mind, you know. And so I think part of a lot of of what I've experienced is, uh, from a mental standpoint, is that we often are the one who limits our our impact and growth ourselves, and it's all uh, happens up here in our heads. And so, how do we begin to overcome the limiting beliefs uh, that we have created for ourselves? And uh, we naturally create these barriers because maybe someone told us something, whatever. And so that's, uh, that's something he's someone that some of his podcasts, some of his teachings as of late has been significant for me in, in that regard. And then another author is uh, Jason Jaggard. Uh, he's um, a guy, he's a West coast guy as well. And he's really been uh, significantly, uh, he's an executive coach and runs a, a firm called Novus Global. So a lot of his writings has been, have been significant uh, over the last probably six to eight months. That's a great list. Uh, shout out to Erwin uh, McManus. His book, The Way of the Warrior, had a massive impact on me and Marcy as we were navigating the creation of what is now Warrior Way. Uh, really, not you know, it is somewhat of a coincidence of the naming of it. But he's a great writer and has a lot of great insights into a lot of a lot of things. So, thanks for thanks for sharing that for sure. That's great stuff. I don't know this for sure, but I think you may have recommended that book in the interview you did back in a long, long time ago in episode number two, or at some point you've recommended that. Back when I was a guest? Yes. Back when you were just a guest. Just Just a a guest. Just a guest. Just a guest. Maybe maybe when you were a guest and now you're just a co-host. I don't know. I don't know which it is. Yeah. So maybe that's what it is. I think that's probably what it is. Yeah. I think both of you guys are just, you guys plug very well. You know, the mind shift. I get it. You know, you found someone that was doing something that had the name of the book in it. And then Paul, you got to bring up warrior again. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I, you know, I, I like it. I like it. That's, that's very good. That marketing you talked about, Jonathan, there that you're now working in marketing, you know, and so (laughs) it just, it's just, that that's just you're natural you're just you guys are naturals at that that's amazing well thanks again jonathan thank you for uh for just taking the time to be part of this and and i appreciate you appreciate everything you're doing i I absolutely love it i love that we're able to you know kind of work together on some different things and connect each other with different people and outside the outside the podcast as well and so i appreciate you and keep at it brother thank you very much i really appreciate being on the on the show today 
All right, folks. Well, thanks again for being a part of this. And thanks. Uh, I do I do hope that you're able to engage this and that you're able to give us some feedback. You know, if you haven't rated in the show and reviewed it, if you can go do that on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you, you get this, that would be great. Not only because it gets it out there to more people, but because we love to hear your feedback, how we can make the show better. And any guests you have that you think would be good for us, please send them our way. We'd love to be able to get the the good wisdom they have out to you and other people around the world. So uh, if you want to learn more about Warrior Way that Paul had mentioned, warriorwaysoccer.com and uh, coachingthebiggergame.com if you want to learn about what we're doing with that. With everything, folks, you know, most importantly, we hope that what you're taking from, uh, you're, you're learning from this show, you're using it to help you to be a better parent, a better spouse, a better leader, better friend, better in everything that you do. And you continually remind yourself that soccer does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple weeks.